John chapter 8, verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. As we approach this scripture, I want to ask that the children listen for the following words. Today, as I preach, children, listen for the word free. And listen to the word for the word slave. And listen to the word listen to the word righteousness. Okay? Three words. Free, slave, righteousness. And you adults can listen for those words also. As we said last week, sometimes what children do is what we ought to do. I want to preach a message to you today from God's Word entitled Freedom, a gift from the truth. And you notice I've placed truth in uh, capitals and uh, along with everything else because I believe that this truth that we're talking about today is Jesus Christ. Look what he says here in the beginning. If we look in verse 31, he says, or John says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Look back up in verse 30 where we were last week. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Okay? Now, you can't see it in your, in your text, but I'm just going to tell you the two words are different. The first word speaks of true belief. Absolute belief in Jesus Christ. These people, as they were hearing the word preached by Christ, they believed it in their heart by faith and were converted. It was true belief. In verse 31, notice he addresses the Jews again. And remember, when he says it that way, when he calls them Jews, he's generally talking about the leadership of the Jews. And he says that some of these Jewish leaders have begun to believe in him. That word there is a word about knowledge. They received the knowledge Jesus was teaching. They weren't yet converted, but they did have a knowledge of Him in their minds. Okay? The common Jews gathered there. Many of them began to believe by faith. The Jewish leadership even. Jesus is such a powerful teacher that here, here we see His opponents. Some of them begin to believe, at least in their minds they believe. They assent to the facts. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's encouraging them, okay? Some of you in here fit this category. Some of you in here know the truth. You know it in your mind. Now, you haven't believed by faith, but you do have the knowledge necessary to believe by faith, okay? And what Jesus is saying, look what He says, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, 
Okay? It's, it's really in a sense, he's setting them a gauge that they can tell if their belief is real or not. Okay? Because he understands there are those who reject him. There are those who absolutely believe by faith. And then there's these fence riders. People who have knowledge, but they haven't yet been saved. And so Jesus says, you'll be able to distinguish between true belief and simple knowledge by whether you dwell in my word. Okay? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's how we know he's talking to those who haven't quite believed by faith. They've simply assented. Why? Because he says, if you abide in my word, you are a disciple and the truth then will set you free. It's a, it's a future term. The truth will set you free. They're not set free yet. You see that? Some of you are in that position right now. You've been in church all your life. You've been around religious things, Christian things, Christian people. And right now you're satisfied with having knowledge. But you're not yet converted. And so Jesus would say, one way you can test yourself if you're a real disciple is, do you have a hunger for His Word? Do you know His Word? Do you love His Word? Do you study His Word? Do you not just study it for facts, but you study it to see Christ? You, you, some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? you? You went through that transition because you believe by faith. From reading it as a history book to as you opened it, Jesus jumped off every page in every sentence. I mean, you were seeing Jesus everywhere all of a sudden, right? And you loved it. You loved Him. You loved the Word, but you loved Him more than the Word. And you loved Him in the Word. And so, Jesus seems to be giving us a grid where we can test our faith. Is it real faith? Is it ascension? Many people have a false sense of freedom in our world. And I want to focus in on that. Many people have a false sense of freedom. That's the first thing we can look at. I want us to skip down to verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Boy, that's short-sighted, isn't it? That's blind to the truth, right? I mean, let's think about the Jewish people. Have they ever been slaves to anybody? You might ask the question, have they ever been free? That might be a better, a better question. Have they ever not been enslaved at some point in their history? Because the reality was, from the time they went into Egypt, they became slaves, and they were released from there and into the Promised Land, and not just some short years in the Promised Land, they fall into captivity there. Right? And they're led off into captivity. And they come back. And then what happens? They're led off into captivity again. And then they come back, and now we find them in Jesus' day, right? Are they free? Are these people who are claiming to be the offspring of Abraham who've never been enslaved to anybody, are they free? Absolutely not. They are the slaves of the Roman emperor right now, as they're saying it. Many people have a false sense of freedom. In their world and in our world. Some of you have a false sense of freedom. You believe you're free. You look at freedom and you think it's inherited. That's, that's how these people looked at it. In America, it's easy to believe that. Just like the Jews believed they were free because they were children of Abraham, many Americans believe they're free because Patrick Henry said, give me freedom or give me death. And we fought a revolutionary war and we were free, right? And we're born in freedom. This is the land of the free. Right? 
But are we really free? I mean, that's a question that we've got to ask. Freedom as defined by the world, and I put it up for you so you could follow along. Yeah, there you go. Freedom as defined by the world, the ability to do what I want, when I want, to whomever I want, as long as I determine that my action falls within the societal norms in my culture. This is the world's definition right now of freedom. I can do what I want, when I want, to whoever I want, as long as the culture around me says it's okay. You haven't violated anybody or yourself or God as long as the society society says it's okay. And notice it's cultural, or I, I could have used the word cultural norms, societal norms in my culture. That's different in every part of the world, isn't it? It's different in every part of this nation. It's different from Alabama to South Florida and from South Florida to California and from California to Indiana. It's different everywhere. So every time the world wants to find out what is freedom, they have to define it by what, first of all, their own desires, second of all, by society's acceptance. And you're free as long as you stay within that boundary. We might also say that freedom is the ability to act according to my own will without coercion from external forces. I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm free as long as I'm not doing it because somebody else told me I had to do it, right? That's why the emergent church right now is struggling so much with what is freedom. Because they want to take this anarchist view of freedom that has no boundaries. Many of them have no boundaries in doctrine and practice. They want to throw off the shackles of the historical Christian faith, most of them. And they want to, they want to see freedom Really, as an anarchist, not a Christian. These are anarchist-type definitions of freedom, aren't they? I can do what I want when I want to whoever I want. I can do anything as long as it's of my will without you telling me I've got to do it. An external force. And I would just ask the question, well, well does that kind of freedom even exist, first of all, philosophically? Does it even exist? Does that really, is that anywhere in the world, in any culture? Think with me for just a moment, okay? This is, maybe you've heard this, but it's a great example, all right? Listen closely. We're in this building right now, right? Most of you would say we came here of our own choosing. And we're, we're happy to be here, or in some degree of happiness while we're here, right? And... We'll, we're here and we're enjoying ourselves, and we believe we can leave anytime we get ready to leave, right? Now, what if the doors are locked and you can't get out? And as long as you're in this building, you can go upstairs, downstairs, to the bathroom, play with the children's games. We'll go a little further. This becomes a TV. We can sit here and eat popcorn and watch movies. We can do whatever we want to do inside this building, can't we? As much as, as much as we want to do, we can do it. As long as we all agree, it's okay. The problem is, what we cannot do is go outside. But we don't have a desire to go outside, so it doesn't really matter, does it? And when we hear about people talking about being outside, who venture in from the outside and talk to us about being outside, how beautiful and wonderful it is, it doesn't really matter to us because we've never been anywhere but in this building. 
And we think, man, I can do whatever I want in here. Why do I want to go anywhere else? I have no desire to go out there. I don't want to go out. And they're begging us, come on, man, the world's a big place. There's this absolute freedom that you don't even know about. And they're saying, I'm free. Leave me alone. I can do whatever I want to do right here. I've got it all at the touch of my hands. I can do what I want, when I want, to whoever I want. They never go to the door and try to get out because they don't want to get out. What I've just described to you is the way the world lives in sin. They believe they're free. I can do what I want, when I want, to whoever I want. As long as me and my buddies decide it's okay and it doesn't hurt anybody. I can do what I, I have freedom. And those poor Christians, they might even look out the window and say, those poor Christians out there, look, what, they're not free. They can't do what we can do in here. All the while, they're the ones locked in slavery. All the while, they're the ones who are not free. They can't go outside, enjoy and feel the freedom that exists in Christ. They don't have a desire to go out there. They look at it and think it's child's play and foolish. Why would anybody want to do that? I'm free in here. Matter of fact, they're so bold in their freedom and so confused that they don't even try to experience freedom in Christ. They don't even, they just reject it as out of hand. Why do I need that? You shared your faith with people like this lately? Are you one of these people? We think about it. Think about it. What characterizes your life? Is it really freedom? I mean, the reality is many people have a false sense of freedom. Many people in this room struggle right now with sexual addiction. It's never been placed under the blood of Christ. You've never been set free from it. But you tell yourself you're free because you can do what you want when you want to in this area as long as you don't get caught at it. You're free. And what I'm telling you today is you're not free. You're enslaved. You're enslaved to that sin. For some of you, you wouldn't dare be a slave to sexual sin. That's not your thing. For you... It's money. And you enjoy your money. And you play in your money. And you think your money brings you freedom. And yet because you love and worship your money, Jesus says that money is a slave master to you. The American dream, can I just tell you, let you in on a secret if you haven't heard it yet, the American dream is an absolute ploy from Satan himself. It is the way he's led this nation astray. The American dream is nothing more than a dependence on our ability to be independently wealthy and not have Christ. There's nothing in the American dream about Jesus. If you're living for the American dream today, if your desire is to be more wealthy, have a bigger house, better cars, fancier vacations, great retirement, if that's your dream, I'm telling you right now on the authority of Jesus Christ and His Word, you are a slave. 
You're a slave. And some of you know you're a slave because you got a piece of plastic in your back pocket that tells you every month you're a slave to this dream. And it doesn't let you go. And it's not going to let you go. It's going to sink deeper and deeper into the very root of your life. And it's going to take your life. And all the while, you're in the building and you can do whatever you want to do. Why would I want to go out there and live a suffering and sacrificial life because of Christ? Man, that's foolish. I got it good. Can you hear the words of Jesus to the rich man through the voice of Abraham? Do you not know that in your life on the earth you had your good things and Lazarus his misery and now Lazarus has been gathered up to me and he enjoys his good things and you're going to suffer for all of eternity. You're a slave to the American dream. You're a slave to sexual addiction. You're a slave to your pride. Some of you have come into this place and you're a slave to your pride. You've got the wall up, you know, that wall that looks like you think everybody wants you to look. So you do the things you think everybody wants you to do. And you've got it all together. And you're a slave to that image. That image of yourself outside of Christ. Ladies, how many of you right now, if you're honest in your gut, would say, I'm a slave to my image, what I look like to everybody else? Men, How many of you, if you dropped a macho, would say, I don't have it all together and I want everybody to believe I do because I want to be the man in control. I want to be the guy that's at the wheel. I got it all together. I got a job. I got a family. I'm I'm independent. I can do my own thing. Nobody. I'm free. No. You are a slave. Ladies, some of you are a slave. The majority of American women are slaves to what the mirror tells you you look like. The majority of us men are slaves to our work ethic that we believe is so puritanical and we can do it ourselves. And it's a slavery, not freedom. And if I didn't hit your button, come see me afterwards and I'll go through some more. Because we all have a button, don't we? We all have a button. We like to beat up on everybody else because of their button. We have a button. Sin is near to us. We are slaves to it outside of Christ. And inside of Christ, we're steadily trying to fight not to go back into slavery to it. That's the reality, isn't it? I'm free, but why do I wake up every morning and have to battle to stay free? Why do I keep wanting to go back and present myself to sin again and again and again? Many people have a false sense of freedom. And I want to tell you, you can't have freedom. You can only have freedom through Jesus Christ. If you're here today outside of Christ, you have no freedom. Look what he says in verse 31 in the second part. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus equates us living his word to being his disciple. There is no such thing as I'm saved by Jesus and one day I'm going to start following Jesus. Jesus never told Peter, James, or John, hey boys, I'm the Christ. When y'all get time and you feel moved enough, 
come on and follow me, I'll be doing some ministry. Is that what he said? He didn't ever say to them, nor to anybody else who he healed or, or ministered to, hey, lame man, jump up. You're saved. Don't worry. Go live your own life. One day, give yourself to me and be my disciple. No. What did he say to the adulterous woman in the first part of chapter 8? What did he say? Who's condemning you? She said, nobody, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Do what? Go and do what? Sin no more. Follow me. That's what he said. Follow me. Abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you're my disciple. So you say, I don't know. Am I a slave to sin? Well, I would ask you the question, are you following Christ? Maybe you can't look at your life objective, objectively enough to know whether you are a slave to sin. So I'm just going to ask you, would you say that you're following Jesus Christ today? And you say, well, I don't know how to know that. Well, one way you can know it is, are you abiding in His Word? Now, John 15, when we get there, by God's grace, is going to tell us that we are to abide in Christ. I would say these two things are synonymous, really. You can't abide in the Word without abiding in Christ, and you can't abide in Christ unless you abide in His Word. So, are you following Christ? How do I know? Are you abiding in His Word? If not, abiding is more than reading, more than memorizing, more than praying over, more than studying, more than exegeting. It's all those things and much more. More importantly, it's seeing the Word, believing the Word, and obeying the Word. Have you ever been around those people who they just love to obey? We use the ridicule and make fun of them, but they just love to obey. They just, they just grow in that sense of there's freedom in Christ. I'm free to obey Christ. Sticking with our analogy, to come to Christ and to be saved by Christ is you're in this room, you've been locked in, and when somebody told you before, you said, I don't care, I'm in here, I don't want to be out there, I don't love Christ, I don't want His Word. And when the Holy Spirit works in you, Jesus says, then you abide in My Word. What does that mean? That you walk out the door. God gives you the ability to walk out the door. The door's unlocked to you now. And you go out into this fresh new life that exists outside of sin. Now you can look back at sin and pity those people, can't you? Pity those people and say, how, how can they stay there? How did I stay there all these years? Matter of fact, why did I go back inside last night? I was free and I went back in. Why did I do that? There comes a sense of realization of what real freedom is. It's, a, it's, it's not, freedom is not a condition of discipleship. Freedom is... Freedom comes because you are a disciple. In other words, you don't have to be free so you can be a disciple. When you're a disciple, you're free. And that's what Jesus is saying. Knowing the truth sets us free. The truth, he says in verse 32, sets us free. And like John often did in his writing, he has a double meaning. It's truth, objective truth. It's truth also known as Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. And here John's just saying that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's not just talking about objective facts. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. 
freedom as defined by the Bible. I gave you the world's idea of freedom. Let me give you the definition according to the Bible. Freedom is granted by God's grace through the person of Jesus Christ to all who have a relationship with Him. And this freedom allows each disciple to deny sinful desires. And it also grants the power to choose to obey God's Word. What is true freedom? What is true freedom, Christian? Freedom is you now don't have to sin. You didn't have a choice when you were a slave to sin. You had to sin. You really didn't have a choice. I mean, you could hear with your physical ears, you have a choice, obey God or reject God, but you couldn't do anything but reject Him. But now that you're a Christian, you have the ability given to you by the grace of God through Jesus Christ to not sin. So, if you're here struggling with sexual addiction, how does it apply? You have the ability by God's grace to deny that sin. To set up boundaries so you don't fall in that sin. To confess that sin. And to have victory over it. You have that freedom. If you're a slave to money and the American dream, you can deny that. Even in the United States of America, you can deny that dream. You can start by paying off your debt. And you can go further by living debt free after that. And that will go a long way to curving the American dream, won't it? For most of us. Let's just be honest. Most of us don't live a life with enough money to live the American dream. Unless we got that piece of plastic. Practical things you can do to war against the flesh and war against sin. You can curb your desire for the American dream by doing this. The next time you want something and it's perfectly okay, it's not a sin to want it, just say no. I could have that, uh, whatever your deal is, that riding lawnmower outside of Lowe's. I could have that. I have the money for it. I could pay cash for it. There's no sin in it. It's absolutely okay. But my flesh wants it too bad, so I say no. That's a good start. I could, or let's put it on a smaller level. I could go eat out today. And my flesh really wants lost Max. Bad. But I tell you what, to train and discipline myself, I'm not going to do it. The bottom line is when you're in sin and not in Christ, you follow your internal desires, which are sinful, don't you? And you never tell yourself no. Now, somebody else may tell you no, but you don't tell yourself no. So part of disciplining yourself, Paul says, to train yourself is to say no sometimes to the flesh, to beat it into submission, to want that chips and dip so bad and to eat a peanut butter sandwich. And to thank God for that peanut butter sandwich. Because most Christians around the world don't even have that. That's one way to start. There's a lot of ways to fight it. And because of Christ, we have the freedom to fight. Freedom, in this sense, requires boundaries. And we're going to end here. Freedom requires boundaries. The bottom line is, you're not free as the world tells you in Christ. You're free biblically, which means we have doctrinal boundaries. 
There are things we hold too tightly at this church that we will not compromise on. The incarnation, the reality that Jesus dwelled in the flesh as God and man, 100%, 100%. A sinless life of Christ. That's not up for debate here. Did Jesus sin? Did He not sin? That's not up for debate. Did He have an affair with Mary Magdalene have offspring? No. Don't even have to study it. No, absolutely not. Because the Bible says He did. Death on a cross, like we talked about last week. Penal substitutionary atonement is not up for question here. You can question to understand it, but you must accept that. There's a boundary there that we're not going to cross. The resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Community. You know, in the end, we believe that God saved us into a community. A local community and a universal community. A visible community and an invisible community. He saved us and grafted us into that. And so that's not really debatable for us whether we should or shouldn't have church whether we should or shouldn't gather in our homes, whether we should or shouldn't join together to do missions. That's not really up for debate here. Whether we should or shouldn't hold each other accountable for sin, whether we should or shouldn't disciple one another, the olders discipling the youngers. It's not a debate. We may not be doing well at it, but it's not debatable. We need to improve. Missional living. Missional living. Intentionally living where we do Participating in the activities we participate in for the cause of winning others to Christ. We're not, in other words, including every faith as Christian faith. There's just one faith. Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Our job is to live missionally, to go to them and bring them to Christ. To come into the lot building, free from the sin in it, and bring them out by the power of the Spirit. That's what we're doing. The second coming is not really a debate. And the eternal state of man, whether you're going to live in heaven or hell, you're going to live eternally, the Bible says. All those things are boundaries. And I could list some more, but those really are the ones that rise to the top for me. They're without question, without doubt. Now, let me tell you some things that we, we have freedom inside our community to, to talk about. Okay? In those that we're talking about here, let me just pick on the one that's easy to pick on. The second coming. We do not require at this church, nor will we ever require that you believe a specific view of the end times. Pre, post, ah, meal, pre or post-tribulational. We're not dispensational or covenant. We're not caught up on those things. We have a stance as a church. I encourage you to read it and understand it. But you're free to disagree with us respectfully. And to say, you know, through the study of Scripture, I see it a little different. And we have freedom to disagree on that. We don't draw the boundary that tight, in other words. Gifts of the Spirit. It's another one. It's a hot topic in our day. But you're free to have a different opinion than we do on that. As long as it's done decently in order. As long as, as, long as you're not bucking the system that's set up here, you're free to believe differently. Free to believe differently. Community. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how to live out community beyond the specifics given by Scripture, but 
You're, you're free to debate that among yourselves and do it a little differently. There's freedom inside the boundaries, but there are clear boundaries. There's closed hand and open hand issues, I would say. We hold to these without, without debating. We hold to these loosely, openly. Finally, Jesus says that you're free eternally. Jesus defines the sinner as a slave in verse 34. As I've described to you, you are a slave if you're in sin. He says that slave won't be in the house forever. In other words, you're going to live as long as God allows you. And if you die in your sin, you won't remain in the house. You'll be cast out into utter darkness. And that day's coming. But the Son, because of the Son, we will remain. Look what He says. So if the, the, the Son remains forever... The slave is cast out, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. What a beautiful statement. That in Christ we're free, and we're free indeed. And we're free eternally. Jesus guarantees the security of the believer based on his being in the house. I'm in the house, and because you're in me, you're in the house. And we're going to be there forever. We're free. What a beautiful picture. We'll continue through uh, next week. Let me just say, freedom is only granted to those who abide in Christ. And if you abide in Christ, you are free eternally. We're going to continue next week looking at the children of Abraham and the children that are free and those who are slaves. This continue for a couple of weeks here with this analogy. But I just wonder, just asking, is there someone here who would say, honestly, I'm, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. I am not in Christ. I am not free. And the things I've heard you sing, the communion I've seen you take, and the message I've heard you preach convinces me I need Christ. What do I do, preacher? You don't have to walk this aisle. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to give you that opportunity on purpose. Because it's easy to walk an aisle. It's easy to raise a hand. It's easy to pair it a prayer. It's easy to sign a card. What it's not easy to do is to sit knowing that's true and to cry out to God between you and God. And what I would encourage you to do after you cry out to Him, and this is how you cry, you cry out Jesus about your need for the fact that you are a sinner. Cry out to Him about that. Your need for forgiveness. Your dependence on Him for forgiveness and Him alone. And your trust and belief that He is the Christ. The only way. Repent, therefore, of your sins and believe is what I'm telling you. If you've found that you're a slave today, I'm calling you to do that. I'm, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you to do it between you and God before you leave this place, after you leave this place. But don't linger at the door. Don't linger. Because the door might shut. And you may never come to it again. And I wonder if there's someone here who's already a Christian. But you've come back into the house. That's locked. And you've started to live like the people that are locked in. 
In other words, you're sinning like they are. And you're using the same excuses they're using. And you're saying, I can't help it. It's just the way God made me. I wonder if today you might again renew your belief that Jesus Christ has set you free. I wonder if you might say, you know what? I don't have the ability, but Christ has the ability. And by God's grace, I'm leaving this sin. And then I wonder if the two of you, the lost man that has committed to Christ and the saved man who's said, I'm free and I want to live in God's freedom, I wonder if you might be bold enough at some point to tell somebody about it. To just go and say, this is what happened to me. I need help. Will you help me? You can come to me. You can go to someone else that you trust or know and make it known to them. But there's something about making it public, letting people know. Okay, so once you've settled on this between you and God, then let someone know. Tell them and beg them to help you. If they won't help you, tell me. So I can help you or someone can help you live this life of freedom.